We just thank you for this day. We thank you for the opportunity to look at your word and to see what you would have us to see from this story of Nebuchadnezzar and his pride and his punishment. And we just ask you to lead and guide in your son's precious name. Amen. Amen. Daniel chapter 4. This is, we talked about it at the very beginning of Daniel, that one, one chapter of this, of this book was not written by Daniel, or at least by, if it wasn't Daniel, there was one chapter that was written by somebody different, and this is the chapter. This is the testimony of Nebuchadnezzar as God humbles him. And uh, so we're going to look at it. Verse 1, Nebuchadnezzar, the king unto all people, nations, and languages that dwell in all the earth, peace be multiplied unto you. I thought it good to show the signs and wonders that the high God who has wrought toward me. How great are his signs and how mighty are his wonders. His kingdom is everlasting kingdom and his dominion is from generation to generation. All right, so we're going to just stop there because Nebuchadnezzar is giving praise to God. And it's very colorful, but that is the language of that, of that area. But he says, unto all people, nations, and languages... And we've talked about this. Nebuchadnezzar ruled what they considered the, the known world at that time. And he basically was all the way up toward India. The Medes and Persians are going to go all the way through India up to the pass to, to China. And he, all, he controlled all of the Middle East. He did not control Egypt complete, completely. And he didn't control anything into what we know as Europe. And there were plenty of mountains to keep him in from going into Europe. But he owned what he considered the whole world, and or at least the civilized world as he understood it. And so he's saying, I'm, I'm giving this message to all people and languages. So this was going out to the scribes to be, tra- to be translated into all the tongues of the people that he was writing to. And we see that if, in Daniel, we saw that. In Ezra, we saw that. In Nehemiah, how they would get together everybody and have them copied out and sent in their own language so that he had control over the interpretation of the messages. And so and it says he starts out with peace. And this word for peace is very similar to the Hebrew word for peace. It literally means welfare, prosperity, peace, well-being. Okay, and we've talked about when, when the Jews use the word shalom, which is translated peace, it is so much more in-depth than what we would consider peace to be. And this is that same, this Aramaic language that he's uh, given it in is that same type of thought. That when he says peace, he's meaning much more than just tranquility. He's, he's bringing the whole idea of prosperity and, and well-being in this. And it says, be multiplied unto you. And this is very similar. We read this oftentimes when Paul's talking to people. God's grace be multiplied. God's peace be multiplied. And it's just a common Aramaic expression. And then he says, I thought it good to show you the signs and wonders of the high God has wrought toward him. He is recognizing who is in charge. Who gave him these signs? Who gave him these wonders? And we've already gone through three different events. Okay, the his first vision that he saw that he's ready to kill everybody for, and then his, the, the idol that he creates, and, and Daniel being called forth to give, you know, we're seeing these tests that are going on, and he is giving acknowledgement to God. And it says, how great are his signs, and how mighty are his wonders. His kingdom is, everla- is an everlasting kingdom, and his dominion from generation to generation. Almost sounds like he's been reading some of the Psalms that David is going <laughs> 
David is written you know, from the book of Psalms because this is the language that we see frequently in the, in the praises of, that God gives. But he is recognizing that God is eternal. And so verse 4, I, Nebuchadnezzar, was at rest in my house and flourishing in my palace. And I saw a dream which made me afraid, and my thoughts upon my bed and the visions on my head troubled me. Therefore I made a de de decree to bring all the wise men of Babylon before me, that they might make known unto me the interpretation of the dream. Then came the magicians, the astrologers, the Chaldeans, the soothsayers, and I told them the dream the dream before me, but they did not make known unto me the interpretation. So we'll stop there for a moment. He has this vision. And Nebuchadnezzar sees a lot of visions that terrify him. You know, we, we saw that with the, the, image, the image he saw. We saw that you know, with the dream that he'd forgotten. We've seen this a couple of times that he sees visions. And whatever it is about these dreams, he knows they're more than just dreams. Uh, people can sometimes wake up from a dream in a terrified state, but they usually get over it. His dreams, he understood, were something more than just a dream. And so here he is, he's saying, I dreamed a dream. And, you know, first, it's, he's at rest in his home and flourishing. Everything is good. Yeah. Everything is good. He's conquered, he's conquered most of the world that he knows. He's resting. Uh, things, are, things are good. Usually that's when things get in trouble for kings is when they get at ease. And the same thing for us a lot of times. It's when we are complacent, complacent at ease. You know, everything is good. We start forgetting God and things happen. You know, most of us are looking for that. I got to get to where I can just rest. I can just vegetate. <laughs> that state is not a good place for people to be in. We tend to forget God when we get into that state. We tend to get into sinful activities. David with Bathsheba, he didn't go to war like he was supposed to and ended up committing adultery, which led to murder, which led to a year, over a year of not, not worshiping God. Why? Because he was complacent. He didn't go into the battle like he was supposed to. So this, this state of being at ease and not doing anything is not a good place to be. And here we're going to see, this is going to be the start of his problems. And he saw a dream that made him afraid, and it troubled him. And this literally is, it frightened and alarmed him, dismayed him. This isn't just he was in a, in a bad mood, but this is something that has scared Nebuchadnezzar. And you think about this, this is a warrior, this is a general, this is a man who goes out to battle, and this vision terrifies him. He knows there's something very important about it. And he's already had the dream that he's got the great kingdom and that there are three kingdoms following it. Well, four, count kingdom, uh, four more kingdoms after him counting Jesus's. And he knows that he has this kingdom. He knows there's a kingdom following him, but here's a dream that terrifies him. And last week we talked about him being terrified when he sees the fourth man in the fire. This, this kind of an interesting, interesting thing when we look at Nebuchadnezzar is in battle, historically in battle, he was a terror to be in battle with. But outside of battle, he doesn't look like a very brave person. And you know, this is true of a lot of people when they're doing something they're good at. They can be brave, they can be bold, they can, you know, I'm confident in what I'm doing. And you get them outside of that area of their, of their confidence and they're terrified cowards 
And sometimes you see this in like our sports, sports heroes. They're really good on the court. They look like they're totally brave. You'll see a football player who's crashing into other football players, no, no fear, and they get off the field away from what they know how to do, and they're terrified about every decision they have to make. And they're just, this is a Nebuchadnezzar. This is the way Nebuchadnezzar is. As a general, as a commander in the military, he is bold, brave, even cruel. And he's cruel toward others. But when it comes to things like this, he's got a very timid place. I think he doesn't really understand his God and most of the, in, in, you know, understand God, has no confidence. It says, therefore I made a decree or a command to bring all the wise men of Babylon before me that they might make known the interpretation of the dream. And again, I'm wondering if this is one of those things in the middle of the night that he's calling everybody, you know, because he is king. <laughs> Call Daniel in the first place? Uh, that's a good question. That's a good question because he already knows Daniel's going to give him the answer. Daniel's given him the answer twice before, and Daniel and his friends that are following that God know know the answer. But you know, but he calls everybody. You know, hope, maybe he's hoping that there's other people out there that have some wisdom. Maybe he's. You've also got to realize he is king. He probably does not want to be dependent on one person too much. In his mind is, if I depend too much on Daniel, he's the ruler and I'm not type mentality. Believe me, I've seen many people who lead that get into that. They've got a good worker, a good, good manager underneath them, but they don't lean heavily on that person because there are, a lot of times people are afraid that somebody's going to replace them. I've seen that in churches where people are afraid to let somebody else do something. You know, a pastor is afraid to let somebody else do it or a Sunday school director is afraid to let somebody do it because they're afraid that somebody's gonna take their position somehow. My, my attitude has always been, if you can do, my, do some part of my job better than I can have at it, there's plenty of other things to do. But that's not the way most everybody looks at things. We wanna be careful that the humility in this is others can help, others can do. And if we look too much at, I've gotta be the one that gets the credit, I've gotta be, we're in trouble and this is, again, my goal is always to build God's kingdom. And if that means I step out of the way so somebody else can build his kingdom in this place, then I step out of the way, let somebody else build the kingdom, and I'll go find something else that God has for me. But that's not Nebuchadnezzar's view. Okay, and I think that would answer why he's not looking at Daniel first. Because in my attitude, I would have gone, okay, Daniel's been my, my go-to man. Hey, Daniel, I'm sorry to wake you up in the middle of the night, but uh, come interpret this dream for me. Uh, you know, verse 7 says, Then came the magicians, astrologers, Chaldeans, and soothsayers. And this is that list we've seen a couple of times. And remember, the magicians are those who use incantations, illusions. The astrologers are trying to find hidden things in the, from the stars. The Chaldeans are the, the local wise men. And then the soothsayers, those who are using demons and, and mediums for their, for their information. It says, he told them the dream and they couldn't make it known unto him. Now, this is pretty bizarre when I read that all these wise guys <laughs> cannot come up with an interpretation. Because that is what he said in the very beginning. I know that if, you can, if I tell you the dream, you'll come up with something. And here they can't come up with it. And we saw the same thing back in, in Joseph and Pharaoh. All the wise individuals couldn't come up with an interpretation, which has to be gone because most of these guys could at least dream up some kind of interpretation, which is usually what happens. 
You know, people that are in, in these fields are really good at dreaming up some kind of information, you know, some kind of answer. Can we It, it could be true that they, they understood and didn't want to for fear of their life. That could be an answer. Um, but I think in most cases, I think God is shutting their mouths and their, and their imagination so that he can come forward and get the glory, which is the whole purpose of this chapter, as we're going to see, is that God gets the glory. And I think that was true in Joseph, too. Those people just, God did not allow them to come up and, and say anything because he wanted the glory. He wanted to raise Joseph up. Verse 8, but at last Daniel came in before me, whose name was Belshazzar, according to the name of my God, and in whom the spirit of the holy gods, and before him I told the dream, saying, O Belshazzar, master of the magicians, because I know that the spirit of the holy gods is in you, and no secret troubles you, tell me the visions of my dream that I have seen, and the interpretation therefore. Thus were the visions of my head, in my head on my bed, and I saw, and behold, a tree in the midst of the earth, and the height thereof was great. And the tree grew and was strong, and the height thereof reached unto the heaven, and the sight of it, therefore, unto the end of all the earth. And the leaves thereof were fair, and the fruit there, thereof much, and, in the, and it was meat for all. And the beast of the field had shadow, shadow under it, and the fowls of the heaven dwelt in the boughs thereof, and all flesh was fed in it. And I saw in my vision in my head, and upon my bed, and, and and behold, a watcher and a holy one came down from heaven. And he cried and said, Hew down the tree and cut off his branches, shake off his leaves, and scatter his fruit, lest the beast, let the beast get away from under it and the fowls from his branches. Nevertheless, leave the stump of its roots in the earth, even in, with the band of the iron and brass, in the tender grass of the field, and let it be wet with the dew of heaven, and let the, his portion be with the beast in the grass of the earth. Let his heart be changed from man's, and let the beast's heart be given unto him, and let seven times pass over him. This matter is by decree of the watchers, and the demand of the word of the holy ones, and the intent of the living may know that the whole, that the most holy high ruleth in the kingdom, and gives it to whomsoever he will, and sets it up over his, the beast of men, basest of men, excuse me. This dream I, Nebuchadnezzar, have seen. Now you, O Belshazzar, Declare the interpretation thereof, for as much as all the wise men of my kingdom are not able to make it known unto me, the interpretation, but you are able, for the spirit of the holy gods is in you. Long section there, but we want to get that. Daniel shows up. Yeah. And it may be that he waited until morning also. Maybe Daniel was busy doing administration and didn't come in with the other wise men. You know, he, maybe he was busy. He's number two in the kingdom. He might have had appointments that morning that he waited till morning to call. There's all kinds of reasons why maybe Daniel didn't show up. But God is going to get glory from it in the, in the end. And he says, you know, first off, he says, Oh, Belshazzar, master of musician, because I know that the spirit of the holy gods is in you and no secret troubles you. Tell the vision of my dreams. He knew instinctively that Daniel was going to be able to tell him the answer. Even though everybody else had not been able to, he, you know, he's been talking to them, he's been telling them. Maybe even they were trying to make up some stories and he's, and he's looking and saying, no, this is just not registering as being true. But they weren't able to give an answer and all of a sudden Daniel walks in. Yeah. 
Have you ever been in a place where, where you needed counsel and then you went to the right counsel or the right counselor just showed up? Uh, it's happened, it's been in place sometimes where, where the right person that gives you godly counsel just shows up. And here's Daniel walking in. And Nebuchadnezzar says, you can, you can almost picture he's been troubled, he's been, nobody's given him an answer, and you can just picture the relief on his face and the, and the tension dry, draining out of him. Okay, I'm finally going to get an answer. Daniel, Daniel's here. And you think about this dream, and I mean, this dream has got to be a terrifying dream to him because he sees a tree that's so large it covers the world. That's a big tree. Okay? And, and, he's, and the description of this, it, it grew, it was made great, and it was strong, it was firm, and it reached up into heaven, and it covered the whole earth. This has got to be a very terrifying tree to see in the first place. All right? And he says the leaves of it were, were fair, and the fruit fed everybody, and the animals laid under the shade of it. Well, it's covering the whole earth. They're definitely going to be in the shade of it. And the birds are in the... In the in the leaves. Everyone's having a good time. <laughs> Everything was having a good time. This was a, this tree was the life source for everything around it. And so this would make him, you know, he's maybe thinking this is me, you know, and that's probably what troubled him. He probably already understood a little bit about this dream or thought he understood. Probably thought that he understood that it was him. <laughs> And that would have scared him, and he wanted confirmation of what he was thinking, because otherwise I don't see what really what scared him about all of this. But then the tree was cut down, and they banded the tree. And if you know anything about forestry, if they have a tree that they have to cut down because it's rotten up high, they will oftentimes band it so that it will hold together and re-sprout. Re okay, and that's the whole purpose of the banding of these trees. Otherwise, you just drag the stump out and you say, okay, this stump's gone too, and, and drag it out. But they said, the stump remains. <laughs> and, and then it says, let his heart be changed from a man's unto a beast's until seven times have passed over. And time here is a very literal word on this. Uh, it, it's usually interpreted to be year. And that is true in... Daniel 7.25, where he says a time, times, and half a time. And in 12.7, where he says the same thing, referring to the uh, tribulation period, three and a half years. Time, times, plural, and a half a year. So they, they interpret that to be three and a half years. So would this be seven years? or just Seven years is what most people interpret it. Technically, this word is, is indefinite, but the way Daniel keeps using it, seems to indicate that it's years and some people have tried to interpret it as seven seasons which would be you know, a year year and three quarters um, it, and I'm not going to argue one way or the other but most most people believe that it was referring to seven years especially the way Daniel's works out yeah the way he uses it everywhere else it would be surprising that in this point he's talking seasons rather than years so uh, but again, the one writing here is Nebuchadnezzar. <laughs> so it, we can't hold that as a real strict, just because Daniel did it later on, we can't say that Nebuchadnezzar was saying that it was a year. But you, we want to say that the, the use in the book is a year, so probably means a year. Um, if it's seasons, it's still, it's still a big deal. I mean, it's still quite an issue. 
uh, you know, a year and three quarters is still going to be a long period of time. Uh, I would say by what we're going to see later on, it's definitely not months because of the description of what happens to King Nebuchadnezzar. I can't picture what they describe as being seven months. So I would say it has to be at least a season and probably a year. Um, if somebody wants to argue hard that it's a season, I'm going to let them win. You know, it's not that big a deal. Uh, it's definitely not seven days. It's not seven, <laughs> seven months. Uh, so, and um, we see that it says here in verse 17, and this is kind of interesting, that, that this matter is by decree of the watchers and the demand, demand of the word of the holy ones to the intent that the living may know that the Most High is rules in the kingdom of men and gives to whomsoever he will and sets up over it the basest of men. That's morally deficient people. Now, the worst that you can picture is what he's saying. God will set up the worst. And that would scare Nebuchadnezzar as well. If this is him, as he's probably thinking it is, he's being described as the, the most morally contempt person that God has put in charge. Uh, not, the great, not a great dream, even, even what little he may think he understands, and he's probably hoping it's not him, because he's starting to understand some of this. And uh, when it talks about him having rule over everything, I just want to go to Ezekiel, because Ezekiel 31 uses that same, that same talk about Nebuchadnezzar, though it doesn't nail, name him directly. Ezekiel what? Ezekiel 31. We'll start at verse 1 just to get the context. And it came to pass in the eleventh year, in the third month of the first day of the month, that the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Son of man, speak unto Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and to his multitude, whom are you like in my greatness? Behold, the, the Assyrian, and that refers to Nebuchadnezzar, was a cedar in Lebanon with fair branches and with a shadow shadowing shroud and with a high stature and his top was among the thick brows and the waters made him great and deep set in him up on high with her rivers running around about his plants and sent out her title her little rivers and, and all the trees of the field therefore his height was exalted above all the trees of the field and his brows were multiplied and his branches became long because of the multitude of the waters when he shot forth the fowls of the heaven made their nest in his brows, and under his branches did the beast of the field bring forth their young, and under his shadow dwelt all great nations. Thus was, the fair, was he fair in the greatness and the length of his branches, for his roots were was by great waters. The cedars in the garden of God could not hide him. The fir trees could, were not like his brows. The chestnut trees were not like his branches, nor any tree in the garden of God was like unto him in his beauty." I have made him fair by the multitude of his branches, so all the trees of Eden at the garden of God was in, envied him. Therefore, thus saith the Lord God, because you have lifted yourself up in height and have shot up his top among the rough, uh, thick brows and his heart who was lifted up in his eyes, I have therefore delivered him into the hand of the mighty one of the heathen, and he shall dwell with him. I have driven him out of his wick for his wickedness. The strangers and terrible terrible of the nations have cut him off and have left him upon the mountains and all the valleys and, the, and his branches are fallen and his brows are broken by all the rivers of the land and all the people of the earth are gone down from his shadow and have left him upon his ruin shall all the fowl of the heaven remain and all the beasts of the field shall 
be upon his branches, and we go on, and it's a very clear picture that we're, of what we're looking at. Pharaoh was said, don't get proud because I'm going to cut down this other king, the, the Assyrian. So we just wanted to bring that out, how, how things tie together, and we see the same pictures uh, being brought forth. Verse 19. Then Daniel, whose name was Belshazzar, was astonished for one hour, and his thoughts troubled him. And the king spoke and said, Belshazzar, let not the dream nor the interpretation thereof trouble you. Belshazzar answered and said, My lord, the dream be to them that hate you, and the interpretation thereof to your enemies. There's one look at this. Daniel, it says, is astonished, which means that he is been troubled. He's troubled by the interpretation of this dream. And probably troubled to give it to Nebuchadnezzar the answer as well. Uh, and he was sitting for an hour and his thoughts troubled him. You know, he, for, and he was appalled. I mean, this is a dream that he doesn't want to interpret. And he tells the king that, you know, this dream, your, your enemies are going to like this dream, basically, is what he's saying. This dream is for your enemies. And uh, Belshazzar's, you know, uh, Nebuchadnezzar's telling him, go ahead and tell me this, tell me, no matter what it is, I want to know. And you can almost picture Daniel, you know, this guy's a ter terrible despot, you know. To give him news that he's going to have to give him is, is probably scary in and of itself. But I also, I also have this feeling that Daniel has come to respect and maybe even admire Nebuchadnezzar a little bit. You know, because he's not wanting to see him totally destroyed. He's, he's promoted him to the number two man. He's doing what's best for the kingdom. And to lose your king, like, is, like Daniel's going to tell him is going to happen, is going to cause chaos. And this is going to be something that is going to be very troubling to Daniel. So we look at verse 20. The tree that you saw, which grew and was strong, whose height reached into the heaven and, and, in, and the sight thereof to all the earth, whose leaves were fair and the fruit thereof much, and in it was meat for all, under which the beast of the field dwelt, and upon whose branches the fowl of heaven and their, had their habitation, is you, O king, that are grown and are become strong, for your greatness is grown and reached unto heaven and your dominion unto all the earth. So he's saying, you are the king. And I really have a feeling that Nebuchadnezzar already suspected that this was a dream about him. I can't see what he was terrified about otherwise. And uh, so now Daniel's, if, if, if that's true, then Daniel has given him everything he fears because he knows the rest of it is pretty clear. The rest of this is fairly clear. And whereas the king saw a watcher and a holy one coming down from heaven and saying, Hew the tree down and destroy it, but leave the stump of the roots thereof in the earth, even with a band of iron and brass and the tender grass of the field, and let it be wet with the dew of the heaven, and let his portion be with the beast of the field till seven times have passed over. This is the interpretation, O king, and this is the decree of the Most High which has come upon you. They shall drive you from men, and your dwelling shall be with the beast of the field, and they shall make you eat grass as oxen, and they shall wet you with the dew of the heavens, and seven times shall pass over you till you know that the Most High rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whomsoever he will. 
And whereas they commanded to leave the stump of the tree roots, your kingdom shall be sure unto you, after that you shall have known that the heavens do rule. So here's his interpretation to Nebuchadnezzar that God is going to cut him down because of his pride. You've become proud, God's going to cut you down, and you're going to live like a beast. Now this is, you know, literally they're, they're telling them in this dream that your mind, the human mind is going to be taken out of you, and you're going to be given a mind of a beast to dwell in the field, to eat the grass. You know, that is a scary thought. Especially when he was king. <laughs> to go from king to be, to wander around a field eating grass. And, and it says, they shall make you eat grass like an ox. It seems to be that they're going to pin him up a little bit, for, maybe for his protection. Uh, and we, because he's going to get his kingdom back. And that's what Daniel tells him, that when you leave the root and your kingdom is sure, it's established, it's secure. And I believe that it's secure because Daniel's in charge. Because if Daniel wasn't in charge, you know, when this, when this happens to the king, there would be chaos amongst the king's sons at the very least, possibly even the military leaders. There would be a huge civil war going on on who's taking the place of the king. And I really picture that this is Daniel holding forth the power. He's going to say, I am going to keep this kingdom. God is going to keep this kingdom, but I, he's going to use Daniel. And this is why I really kind of believe Daniel has had some experience that he's fallen in love with the king a little bit. The king has listened to him. The king has been making progress to becoming a follower of the one true God. He's had the experience with Daniel with the image. He's had the experience of the, the fourth man in the fire. And each time he said, now I know that the true God lives. And here he is, he's getting this, this message. In verse 27, Wherefore, O king, let my counsel be acceptable unto you, and break off your sin by righteousness and your iniquities by showing mercy to the poor, if it may be the, a lengthening of your tranquility. This is, I love how much Daniel it rep, is so much like Joseph. You know, Joseph was called in to make an interpretation for Pharaoh. And then after giving the interpretation, he gives advice. Daniel, for the second time, is doing this with the king. He interprets the dream, and then he gives advice. So he's really acting as the counselor. Here's your dream. This is all you ask. You ask for the interpretation of the dream, but let me give you advice. And his advice is simple. It's break off your sins by righteousness. Quit sinning, which tells us that he and, he and uh, Nebuchadnezzar have had some conversations at some point because otherwise he wouldn't know what sin was. He has to be understanding some of the rules and laws that God is giving him. Daniel was telling the king on how to do things, which is cool. Yeah. Um, but that's why he started out, you know, yeah. if my counts be acceptable, yeah. you know, if you'll, if you'll listen to me, if you think it's good, I'm going to give you some good advice, but, you know, you need to decide what to do with it. And then it says, and let your, and, your, and your iniquities by showing mercy to the poor. This was not his style. His style was not to show mercy to anybody, much less the poor. If you had a rich man coming in and was paying him enough, he would give you mercy, but 
the poor is not who is going to get mercy from Nebuchadnezzar. And he says, and then if you do this, maybe, if, the, if it may be the lengthening of your tranquility. Now, if you follow me, if you obey, you may put this off. Now, remember when he said, when he talked about the image, he said, this is a sure thing. This is going to happen. And this one he's saying, you can avoid this, Nebuchadnezzar, if you just basically humble yourself and behave yourself. This does not have to happen. That's quite a promise. That's quite a promise to be able to make and say, you know, you're in control of this. It doesn't have to happen, Nebuchadnezzar. Verse 28, and all this came upon the king Nebuchadnezzar. At the end of 12 months, he walked in, walked in the palace of the kingdom of Babylon, and the king spoke and said, is, this, is not this great Babylon that I have built for the house of the kingdom by the might of my power and for the king honor of my majesty? While the word was still in the king's mouth, there fell a voice from heaven saying, O king Nebuchadnezzar, to you it is spoken, the kingdom is departed from you. He managed to keep himself good for 12 months. But you look, at, you look at those prideful statements. This is the city I have built. This is by the might of my power, by the honor of my majesty. He's already been shown that God is the one that gave him his kingdom. God is the one that put him in charge. God is the one who's allowed all this. And God has already told him that if you don't humble yourself, you're going to lose it all until you acknowledge who he is. And he managed for 12 months to stay, stay humble. And then one day he just gets in a very prideful look. And Babylon, was a, for all accounts, was a beautiful city, a beautiful place to go, had gardens everywhere. And it was a place that Nebuchadnezzar had built. He had built it for a place of beauty. And it says, while the words were in the king's mouth, there fell from a voice from heaven saying, the kingdom is departed from you. Immediately he understood and remember, probably remembered his dream. Now, if I'd have had this dream, I probably would have been repeating it to myself, maybe having a scribe tell it to me in the morning, noon, and night to help keep me from forgetting it. But obviously he didn't do that. He, he figured, I'll remember this. How hard is it for us to remember something for a long period of time that we don't repeat? This is one of the reasons that I keep saying we need to read the scriptures every year and keep reading through them every year. One of the reasons why I... God keeps putting on me to teach the same thing over and over and over again to people so that they finally get it, get it sunk into their heads. And even then we tend to forget. <laughs> so Nebuchadnezzar has forgotten his dream. He's forgotten the, everything about it. Verse 32, And they shall drive you from men, and the dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field, and they shall make you eat grass as ox, and seven times shall pass over you until you know that the Most High rules in heaven in the kingdom of men and giveth it to whomever he will. So again, it's that repeating. No, you think this is your, you think this is your city. You think you did this. You think you were the powerful one. You're going you're gonna to be a beast until you recognize who is in power. This is something that we've always got to remember. God is in charge. And he is always in charge. And really want to be able to look at this. When God is in charge, and we know that he's in charge, it changes the way we think about things happening. 
every time we go out and it seems like the whole world is against us, God is still in charge. He has a reason, and it's probably to show the world that he's in charge. Just as Nebuchadnezzar is supposed to be relearning that God is in charge. God rules the kingdoms of men, and he gives it to whom he will. God lets things happen to us so that he can be glorified, so that he can be exalted. And we see this over and over again. When we really understand that God is in charge and he's allowing things, when we go through hard times, instead of worrying and wringing our hands and, and saying, you know, basically saying, how can God let something, you know, this get so far out of control, we look and we see God in the midst of it and say, God, I don't know where you're at, but you're here, you're, you're in control. And we get through it and we look and we say, there, there he was. His hand was in every bit of it. I think it's real so stupid sometimes. They need to wake up. Because, I mean, it took me this long. But God, like you said, is in charge. He knows everything. And these people are just, you know, putting his name down so much. And, oh. but, but we think about that how long did, you know, for those of us who have gotten pretty close to being able to see God in a lot of things, how long did it take us to get there? <laughs> yeah, I remember years of yeah. of going. God, that doesn't make any sense. I don't know what you're doing. Maybe you've forgotten. You know, you've forgotten me. You know, we may not say that out loud, but we're really thinking that when we're when we don't trust that God, that thing that even the bad is from God. We're basically saying, God, you're, you've you've forgotten things. You've gotten out. It's gotten away from you. We've got to get to the point where we say, God, you are in control of everything all the time. And there's something that you're trying to do. And it may be simply just that he gets glorified. And that's the whole purpose of I this story. See, even before, I never thought of him doing anything bad because I wasn't even thinking of him. I was just thinking this is how the world is. But now I look back and I really understand and see he was in charge. And, but I didn't think of it that way. Yep. But everything he's doing is so that he gets the glory. Whether, whether we fall and he lifts us up, which is showing his glory, or we are successful in it because of him, he still gets the glory. So either way, he gets glory. We, we may get embarrassed really bad because we fall flat on our face and need to be lifted up, but he gets glory by lifting us back up. Or we surrender to him and he gets glory because we are victorious over it. Either way, he is glorified and he says, this is what I'm doing. Look what he's going to have to do to Nebuchadnezzar. You know, he's, he's going to drive him out to eat grass. Now, I don't, I've, had, I've tried eating grass. It doesn't taste very good. No, I, I can't imagine trying to live on grass. I don't think I need to do that. Yeah. 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 You need people like, you're animals. You're going to do this. You don't listen to me. You know? But, you know, this is kind of an interesting thing. How many people are, in our day and age are actually starting to think like animals because of they're doing what's right in their own sight? A lot. Most of the world, is, as a matter of fact, is that coming to that place where they're exchanging the mind of God for not just a mind, a sinful mind, but they're really becoming animalistic. And this is kind of a scary thing when you look at people is that they're starting to act very much like animals. The viciousness. You look at Orlando where the guy comes in and kills, kills people just because he feels that they're, they're running a sinful lifestyle. You look at San Bernardino where the guy kills people. You look at Columbine where they just kill people. 
You know, we're seeing people that are just willing to be an animal and kill for, you know, and, and actually worse than animals because animals don't usually kill just for the sake of killing. They, they kill, kill they because they're hungry. Yeah, they're hungry. And we're seeing people who are going worse than animals now. Yeah. They're just killing for the sake of killing. And then they kill themselves, and so they didn't gain anything. Yeah. Well, then, I mean, they gain by killing all well, they don't go to They don't go to prison for the rest yeah. of their lives, though. <laughs> but this also shows how little respect for life has been brought into people. And this is what Satan is trying to do. If he can get the world to not have respect for life, then we will ki we'll help him out. We'll help kill each other and, and send more people into hell. And he'll hurt God by having his own creation killing each other. And this is why we as, as Christians need to make sure people understand. Especially the, life, new, the new generation of not having no respect. Yep. And we need to bring out to people life is a gift from God. We are created in His image. We have value. We have intrinsic value. Even though we're sinful, even though we don't know God, we still have intrinsic value because He created us in His image. And He loves us so much that He sent His Son to die for us so that He could redeem us and bring us back to Him and give us a new mind, a new, a new thought way, and, and, and a new spirit. All of this is where we're at. And yet we see so many people getting into this animalistic activity, killing one another and destruction. We see it over and over. And we as Christians need to be giving this to people saying life is valuable. The schools teach evolution and then wonder why people act like animals. When we're telling them they're nothing but an animal and then we wonder why they start acting like animals. Being vicious toward one another and trying to get into hierarchy and, and rule the pack. And then we wonder, why are they doing it? Well, they're doing it because you told them they're animals. Or, or at least be willing to brutalize the pack. But this is the, where we're at with God. We as, a, as Christians need to get out and let people know they have value. They are not evolved animals. They are created in the image of God and have great value. And be able to share this is the only way revival is going to happen is when people realize who they really are. And that's not who Satan is telling them they are. But to get there, we as Christians also have to get to understanding who we are. That we are covered in Christ's righteousness. That we are, we are clothed in His righteousness. God sees us as perfect and we have great value because of what God has done for us. The sacrifice of His Son should really tell us how valuable we are. Because Jesus died for us. Why would God die for us if He didn't think that we were valuable? And yet Satan is lying to everybody and saying, you have no value, you are worthless, you are just an animal, Live, eat, drink, and be merry because you know, tomorrow you die. And the people are buying into that lie. We want to bring out to people is, you're created in God's image, you have an eternity. The people who want to live that way don't believe that they have an eternity that is important. Mass suicide things and then they kill themselves because they don't believe that there's an eternity. It's just, I'm gonna kill as many people on my way out because there's nothing there. And this is a very serious problem that we're facing in our, in our day and age. Verse 33, in that same hour was the thing fulfilled upon Nebuchadnezzar, and he was driven out from the men and did eat grass as an ox, and his body was wet with the dew of the heaven until his hairs were grown like feathers' wings and his nails like birds' claws. Picture this, this is why I say there's no way this is months. Okay, his fingernails are growing like talons. 
You know, that takes a few months to, to a long time to do. And it says that his hair grew like until it looked like feathers. And that, if you picture that much hair being clumped together to look like feathers, this is a huge amount of hair that he's growing. It's, this is why seven years makes a lot of sense on this, because he's covered with hair and living like an animal. He's thinking like an animal. He's eating grass. His fingernails are growing so that they're very danger, probably dangerous because of the, how much they look like talons and claws. And he's being covered with the wet. He's living out in a field, is what it's really coming down to. He's living in a field. And this is why I said, I kind of picture that for Daniel taken for his protection, giving him a walled field, and they were probably planting grass or even throwing in throwing in the straw or grass for him to eat because if they gave him anything else, he wasn't eating it because he's got the mind of an ox. And so I, I have this picture, and it's my picture. It's for worth what it is that Daniel has fenced him in because his enemies would love to get him in this state. And there are plenty of enemies. There are plenty of enemies even in the court that would love to get, him, get to him in this state because he's easy prey. It's easy to depose of the king if he's not protected. And this is one of the reasons I've always believed that Daniel was his protector and had trusted soldiers to be the guards and protected him for this period of seven years. Or, but you picture this. Hair that's growing down, matted, looking like feathers, which means it's covering his body. And he's got these long nails, eating grass. This man who is so proud, look at the kingdom that I have created, the world that I have conquered being down to about as low as you could possibly be placed. As low as you can go without being killed. All so that God can humble him. You know, and you can picture that he needed to, you know, this probably would have been the only thing that really could have humbled Nebuchadnezzar because of how great his pride is. Now when he turned into that... Did he have mind of a person's divine wonder? It says that his yeah. mind was changed from a man to an animal's. There actually, and I couldn't find it today, but there's supposed to be some kind of psychological condition that can do this. Is it in your Bible? Uh -huh. Now, there's some kind of psychological condition that can change your mind from that of a human to a, to a person. I can't remember what it's called. Boanthropy. Boanthropy? A rare mental illness in which people believe they are actually cattle. A modern case resulted in the patient growing long, matted hair and thickened fingernails, much like Nebuchadnezzar. Yeah. And, and I knew I'd heard it someplace. I couldn't, I couldn't find it when I was studying, look, trying to look it up this morning. But, you know, so this is a mental condition that, you know, and that's why some people will scoff. The skeptics will say, you know, you know well, yeah, he just got mentally sick. Well, yeah. that's probably true, but God is still the one that did it, and it happened just at the time when he was being most proudful, just as God said, so, you know, and, but it is something that happens, and we know what it's like. They grow matted hair. They, they become, basically, they think like an animal, they act like an animal, and for all practical purposes, are an animal. Verse 34, and at the end of the days, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted up my eyes unto heaven, and my understanding returned unto me, and I blessed the Most High God, and I praised him and honored him that lives forever, whose dominion is everlasting dominion, and his kingdom is from generation unto generation. And I love the way it says here, at the end of the days. 
probably exactly seven years or seven month, uh, seasons. I do believe it's years. So seven, at the end of seven years, his sanity returned to him, and he looked up, and he goes, okay, God, I understand. <laughs> yeah, I got the message. Uh, you, you, you are in charge. You are the great one. And it said that he blessed him. He gave him praise. He, and then it, and, and it, the word they t translated praise is laud. And then honor or glory, which means to make heavy, to just give him so much praise that you're heaping it upon him. Okay, he went from one extreme to the other. It's like, okay, God, I'm just going to praise you. I'm going to, you, you, you are who you are. You, you've proven to me that it's you, that you are in control, and I am nothing without you. This is something we all have to get to the place of where we realize that we are nothing without him. Because it is so easy that when God starts working in our life for us to start thinking somehow we did it. And it's an amazing thing. People will start out humble knowing that it's God and they keep working and they keep working. And then on, at a certain point, they start forgetting that it's God and start thinking about, I've done something. And you'll see it oftentimes with pastors and stuff where they'll, they'll be very humble. This is what God's doing. Look at the work God's doing. This is the work God's doing. And then all of a sudden, they'll start thinking, and you'll start hearing, though, this is the church that I have built. This is, you know, the, I've, you know, these are the people whose lives have been changed because of what I've preached. You know, and it's, and you start getting this twist, and it becomes, it's partially human nature for it to happen, but it's something we must stay on guard for because without God, we are nothing. And we've got to keep that in mind always. I think without always. God, that's the way we thought, but now when we have God in us, we don't think that way. We, we don't at first, but we can, we can easily slip back that direction after if we're not careful. And this isn't, and especially when you have people that are coming in, you know, uh, because you did this, you know, you told me this, or you taught this, or, or you encouraged me, or you counseled me, or, you know, we see it all, oftentimes where, where people just praise you, and you start out with the right attitude, you know, yes, it was all God, but at times it can start over a long period of time. We see it in people who work with the poor. They're doing everything because it's God, and they give God all the glory, and then after... 100, 200, 300,000 people have passed through and, and saying, you know, boy, you've helped me so much. You get it often enough and you can start forgetting that it's God because you're hearing it so much. Anybody who's helping people can get into this. This is easy. Anytime you're helping people, it is easy to stop and forget that it's God and somehow think that it, you did something. And it's something we have to be careful of. We have to keep in mind. We have to keep in his word. We have to keep understanding that it is him and him only and be able to have people in our lives that can also say you know, yeah, hey you know you know don't get don't get too big-headed here it's not you it's God and that's an important place for some people who are ministering you know to keep having in their mind it's not me it's God it's and sometimes it takes somebody to come in and say hey you know you're kind of getting a little big-headed here it's not you and very important on this Right now, Nebuchadnezzar is praising God. Verse 35, And all the inhabitants of the earth are reputed as nothing, and he does according to his will in the army of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth, and none can stay his hand or say unto him, What are you doing? 
this is this is never gonna he's gone completely full circle here it's uh okay god's gonna do what he wants to do and nobody can go to him and say what are you doing this and this goes back to what i was saying early how many times do we when things are bad happening or what we think are bad happening in our life we're actually we may not be as blunt on this but we're actually asking god what are you doing god are you sure you know what you're doing and and I say these things, and, I, and they're very harsh, but you know, in reality, when we're saying, God, uh, why? Why is all this happening? We're, going, we're basically saying, God, you lost control. What, what are you doing? Or do you know what you're doing? We need to be careful with this and understand God is always in control. And I keep stressing this. The more we realize that God is always in control, the easier it is for us to say, okay, and I'm not going to say you're going to understand it, I'm not, understand, I'm not saying you're going to like some of the things that God does to you. And you might be able to go, God, I don't understand this, but you're in control. And that is human. To say, I don't understand this, God, but you're in control, and I know that you're in control, and I know that this is for good, and I know that you have a plan for this. And it doesn't mean that we're going to get up and, and jump up and down at everything that happens to us, because there are things that are bad that happen to us. And I don't think God ever expected Job to get up and, and jump up and down saying, thank you, God, for, all, for taking away all my possessions and my family. God knew that it would be a blow to Job and would not be an enjoyable thing, and he did not expect him to, to jump up and down and say, thank you, God, for all of this stuff. When bad things happen, God is not expecting us to be joyful about what's happening. He does expect us to be trusting that he knows what's going on and that he knows why it's happening. And believe me, there's always that reason. That statement that I love that I heard three, you know, two years ago, God's will is what I would choose if I knew everything. You know, God knows why he's letting whatever it is happen to us. He knows that it is for good somewhere out in the future. If nothing else, it's training us for the next hard thing that comes our way. And that's kind of a depressing thought, but, but at the same time, it's good that he prepared us for the next bigger test by giving us a smaller test, which seems hard at the time that he gives it to us. So at the next bigger test, we'll, we'll, we'll be more prepared for handling even though it's bigger and will seem just as hard as the one that we passed. But he is in control, and here he says, God, Nebuchadnezzar is saying, who can ask him, what are you doing? Verse 36, at the same time, my reason returned unto me and for the glory of my kingdom, my honor and brightness returned unto me, and my counselors and my lords sought unto me, and I was established in my kingdom, and the excellent majesty which was added unto me. So he said, I got my kingdom back, and I got back all my, all my honor and glory, but he's now recognizing who it belongs to, and because of all of this, he said, you know, and more was added to me. But I think he had a more humble state at this point. And I think, and this is what I'm saying, Daniel had to be the one that protected his kingdom during this period of time. Number two man, no, we're not getting rid of the king. No, we're not going to, you know, we're not bringing in a new king. He's coming back. God said he's coming back. God said he's coming back. And seven years, Daniel's there saying, okay, God, you know, where's the king? And the king's sanity is back. And he's being reinstated to everything that he had. Verse 37, now Nebuchadnezzar, now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and extol and honor the king of heaven, all whose works are true 
and his ways ju judgment and those that walk in pride he is able to abase you know and I love this you know he starts out praising God and he ends praising God he says I am going to praise him I'm going to lift I'm going to laud him I'm going to extol him I'm going to lift him up I'm going to honor and glorify make heavy because he is true he is true his all of his judgments are true and he is and from practical experience he goes and the pride he can abase and this is something we all need to be very careful of is that if we do get proud God will humble us always he will always humble the proud Proverbs tells us that pride comes before the fall and when you start getting proud of what you think you are doing God will say let me show you how much you're doing and he'll trip us up when we get into sin and, and thinking that we're so proud that we can do sin without without any consequence God will shout our sin from the from the rooftops and every all the people we know will see the sin and know that we weren't getting away from away with it and so God is wanting to do this for us he wants to make sure that we are trusting him always and he will make sure that we trust him always let's go ahead and close in prayer Lord, we thank you for this lesson. Lord, we ask that you help us to understand that you are in control always. You are the one that lifts up and brings down. You are the one that glorifies people so that you will be glorified and that you are always in control. And we just ask you to help us stay humble, help us to stay ser searching after your will and, and following it. And we just thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.